Hey friends, welcome to the Next Step Leadership Podcast, a conversation dedicated to helping you make your next step your best step. I'm Tracy Reynolds, and my partner for the Next Step journey is Chris Maxwell. Together we hope to inspire, assist, and create the confidence you need to take your next step in your personal growth, spiritual growth, vocation, or even your calling. Thanks for joining us. Well, come on, let's dive into this week's episode of Next Step Leadership. I'm Chris Maxwell, and I'm here with Tracy Reynolds. Uh, Tracy, uh, welcome to a new year. Hi, happy new year, buddy. It's hard to believe the years go by so fast. And uh, man, I'm excited about our conversation today. Talk to us about uh, who we have the honor of having conversations with. Absolutely. We are thrilled to have Dr. Mark Rutland with us. Uh, Dr. Rutland is the founder and executive director of the National Institute of Christian Leadership. He's a New York Times bestselling author, uh, educator, charismatic leader, businessman, and nationally recognized figure of Christian higher education. He actually served as the president of two prominent Christian universities from 1999 to 2013. And uh, Dr. Rutland has served as senior pastor, uh, reaching back to pastor of uh, Calvary Assembly of God in Orlando. You know that city, don't you, Chris? And uh, an associate pastor at Mount Perrin Church of God in Atlanta. Uh, he's also the founder of Global Servants, a ministry in Ghana and Thailand, and author of more than 16 books. And uh, his latest uh, uh, is Of Kings and Prophets, and we're going to talk a bit about that. And uh, the one that I've most recently read was David the Great. And I was just telling Chris about how much I love that, though he's incredibly educated, he speaks on a level that even I can understand. <laughs> Welcome, Dr. Rutland. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be with you guys. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, well, we really appreciate you taking the time, and I've uh, just appreciated your, your friendship over the years and uh, just kind of partnering with you in a variety of different ways. Um, so just, just dive in and begin uh, talking to us from your heart. Um, Dr. Rutland, what are some of the things you see? You know, This is called Next Step Leadership, and what are some of the things as we're entering a new year after going through these crazy seasons, kind of the what next for, for today's leaders? Yeah, I think one thing, uh, leaders are going to have to adjust to the idea that anything that they thought was uh, smooth sailing, the easy ride, you know, mm-hmm. things that would just kind of percolate along year after year after year, I think that we need to adjust to a new understanding that that's not the world we live in anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, that people say, wow, we've been through a rough time. I always want to say, no, welcome to rough times. Um, mm-hmm. But when we get our mind around that, then we don't live with one shock after another. Right. Um, there's, a, there's a great line in Tombstone. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie yes, Tombstone. But there's a great line in it. Uh, I, I hate to admit that uh, Doc Holliday showed any wisdom, but uh, <laughs> but uh, Wyatt Earp says to Doc Holliday, I, I just want to have a normal life. Mm. And and Doc Holliday says, there is no normal life. There's just life. Mm. That's good. And actually, once you can get your mind around that, I, when I was younger, I thought the goal was to get everything fixed, to get it all mm. fixed, to get all the knickknacks on the shelf and arrange it all correctly, and then just hover over it and keep somebody from breaking anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that's just not the way life works. That's not the way families work. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, somebody always bounces a basketball into the shelf and breaks stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's the way it works. That's life. That's real life. 
So true. And so often we uh, try to avoid that. And I mean, thinking about leadership today, it's often so, it's just like we're going to push whatever we want toward anyone who's going to follow us instead of let's face reality. Mm. There, there's just like uneven surfaces that we're walking through and in the struggles of life, how can we lead well, love well, serve well, and adjust to this life of change? And people who are, they're, they're not just hearing you lead, they're watching you lead. Ooh, yeah. And actually, just the feeling that uh, they can all say when the storm hits that they can look up and say, okay, the captain's on the bridge. Right. You know, you, you have to project, I'm not talking about phoniness, but there has to, has to be an emanation from a, a leader that, uh, that sense of, uh, call it whatever you want to, gravitas. Right. People need the feeling that when you walk in the room, everybody kind of says, okay, daddy's home. Yeah, it's going to be okay. It's, it's going to be okay. Yeah. And, and in troubled times, troubling times, that becomes a greater, more indispensable element of leadership. Planning is important. Structure is important. Discipline, all the rest of it. But calm, assurance, I'm here. We're going to make it through this. I think is the number one thing that I would say to leaders to achieve in 2022. I had a friend years ago that I thought he was nuts when he would say it. He would say, I don't have problems. I have opportunities. Well, there's a lot of truth there that if we, according to our perspective, if, if I'm not, if I'm expecting life not to be free of tidal waves, free of, of, then, then I do see opportunity. Instead of, well, here's the next big hassle in my life or an obstacle to overcome. Yeah, uh, so much of the, of the stress, the emotional and leadership fatigue that people feel is actually um, disappointment, mm. disillusionment. They keep thinking this ought to be this way or that ought to be that way instead of just embracing life as it is and seeing every, everything that comes it is an opportunity to demonstrate leadership, to comfort people, to do, to do the things that leaders are supposed to do when, when things are rough. Yeah. And so there is a sense, really, I know it sounds like a platitude, but there really is a sense that in every desperate situation, there is an opportunity to lead and, and to encourage people. Well, no, Jesus had a knack of showing up in a storm and calming things. And a sense of calming. Not, not that I have it all figured out, because I usually don't. I usually have better questions than I have answers. But at least knowing that, you know, hang on. It's kind of like the weather in Georgia. If you don't like it, hang on. It'll change. You know, you know and I'm not talking about being disingenuous. Hmm. But you can... Um, I believe that transparency in positions of leadership is somewhat overrated. Uh, that... Uh, that you can come to the place where you're just bleeding on your people, mm. and it rattles them. In fact, I think leaders ought to be careful who they bleed on at all. You ought to be careful about bleeding on your wife, your spouse. Mm, true. Um, and you can get all alone with, with God if, if God is where I get alone. You can get all alone with God, and you can bleed on him. <laughs> Show him all your panic and fear. You know, you Close the door. And lock it, and you leave your staff outside and everybody else, and you can freak out alone with God. <laughs> you freak out. It doesn't freak God out. But you freak out with your staff, you can freak them out. So there has to, 
I know it, it, it may even sound a little bit like being phony. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you have to be the man. If you're the, right. the woman, the person who's leading, you've got to step up to it and lead. And part of that is projecting a calmness that you may not actually feel inside. Oh, I remember sitting around the, the table at Emmanuel College wow, when we were in dire straits. And those in the senior leadership cabinet, uh, there's five or six of us around a table. You're looking at the, the bottom lines and seeing, and you don't have really good solutions. We don't have answers. And then you're having staff meetings and team meetings with student development and faculty. And uh, you're right. If we had bled all that to them, it would have killed us. We would, I, don't, I think we probably would have closed the doors, Dr. Ellen. Yeah, and that could be true in a business. It can be true in a hardware store. Uh, if you if you project desperation in the first place, you may lose your best leaders around you. They don't want to they don't want to work in that situation, and they may sense you're desperate. The company's desperate, the organization's desperate, and they may bail out. And you you actually can make the situation worse. You hold on to your best leaders by leading at your best. Mm. Um, I, I can remember a conversation you and I had when we were both pastoring in the Orlando area. And uh, we had lunch together somewhere, and one of the questions you asked me is interesting that now we're talking about this you know, decades later. Um, and you said, um, well, Chris, who do you have in your life? That was just one of those questions. And fortunately, as I was pastoring, I had an accountability group of other guys that weren't a part of the church. They were pastoring other churches. None of our churches were alike. We were all different in age and in preaching style in um, in in church style, but we were there for each other, and I felt safe talking to them. And yes. it was that healthy accountability group. And the other thing that's worked so well for me is is seeing a counselor. Um, so many times, pastors they know that they need to lead well and do what we're talking about, but they hide their hurt instead of dealing with it the right way, the right time, with the right people, so that they're able to lead, just as, just as we're talking about today. That's a very good point. I, I wrote a book some years ago, a few years ago, called The Courage to Be Healed. And it's not really about physical healing, but about the healing of damaged emotions, wounded emotions. And at that, I said, sometimes leaders are, uh, can't find any place to be healed. They don't have a healing source. And I, I would urge that. Humble yourself. Be with people that know you. You need somebody in your life that you can tell anything to, anything, and they won't bail out on you. Yeah. Mm. And I, I found that uh, when I was in my early 20s, uh, my friend and I have been prayer partners and accountability partners for all these decades, mm -hmm. decades yeah. now. We're both in our 70s. And I, I, I tell you, it's a great treasure. I could call him right now, and I could say, look, Lawrence, I don't, I don't know what happened. I just lost my mind, and I just took a gun and knocked over a liquor store. And he would say, stay right where you are. I'll be there in an hour. Mm. Priceless. It's priceless. Yeah. Absolutely priceless. Mm. And I would do the same for him. Yeah. Like, I might tell him to lay the gun down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before I arrive, just make a few changes. Well, you know, we don't need a half a dozen of those. I've got two folks in my life, and there's. when I look back over the decades, there have always been one or two, uh, never five, you know, always just a handful of people that, that love Jesus and love me 
And I, like you said, I could be totally honest. And oh my gosh, there have been times when they've been brutally honest back to me, but they saved me so much grief. But they also were there for me in my grief. Mm-hmm. And professional counseling, too, as Chris said, I think that was a, that's a point that a lot of people resist, and I did. I'll be honest with you. I went to counseling at a point when I needed it, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it really helped me. He showed me things about the book that I wrote about is largely about counseling, was largely because of what he taught me. Uh, I did a lot of counseling, especially when I was at Mount Perrin. You know, we had the Psychological Studies Institute mm-hmm. there, and I did a lot of counseling. But I always sort of approached counseling as a top-down kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. thank God I can help these poor people, <laughs> you know. And when you come to that point where you say, you know, I need to see somebody, I, I just would say that's not a terrible moment. It's mm-hmm. not humiliating. It's not embarrassing. But it is a point that you may not want to ride past too fast. Well, that's heavy. Well, Mark, you've, you've learned so much over the years. Um, talk to us about, just if, from, from the role of pastoring, uh, many of those who are listening are pastoring. Uh, I know some that are either they have quit that role right mm-hmm. now or they're seriously considering yeah. it. Uh, they're carrying so much weight during this season of change and adjusting. Um, just, just talk to us. What, what suggestions would you give as we're facing so much unknown right now? Well, I don't. I don't nothing I say. I, I don't want. I don't want anything I say to sound condescending. In the first place, I understand anybody with any sense understands life recently has just been complicated, and that's what I'm saying. From the very beginning of this, that's what I was trying to say. This is life. Life is complicated. And to think that you can get it back to some place, that people keep using this phrase pre-COVID, you know, I can just get it back to pre-COVID. I say forget that. Mm-hmm. Amen. Forget it. That, that was a never-never land. And, and it's over with. Now what you have to do is deal with who you are, where you are. That's good. So the second thing I would say is... If you were taking too much credit for the success you were having, hmm. now you run the risk of taking too much blame for what you're facing. Cool. So I would yeah. say get out from under both of those. Mm-hmm. And if when, if, when God blesses whatever it is, your business, your church, your ministry, then thank God and remain humble about it. When you can feel the ground giving way under your feet, it's... There may have been mistakes you made, but but remember, things happen, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and it, and and if you get under that and say, you know, I've caused this, I take the blame for it. Taking the credit for it is a temptation to then take the blame for it, mm. yeah. and you just have to steer the ship through the rapids. Now, I'll say one other thing, Chris, since you ask about it. This is a. <laughs> I don't want this to sound negative, but it, it's real. I hear people say all the time, winners never quit and quitters never win. I want to say something. There, there is a time to quit. Yes. Mm. And I think sometimes people hold on, grip the rails. They can't, they can't move on to the next thing mm. because they're, they're so entrenched in the thing they've been doing. Yeah. And yep. God writes our lives in chapters. 
Mm-hmm. And you can't move successfully and holistically into the next chapter while you're still trying to sort out the one you're leaving. Well, that's powerful. And yeah. and sometimes you just you have to move on. Mm-hmm. I, I when I was a I was in the Methodist Church for the major part of my early leadership and ministry, and we used to sing an old hymn uh, said, "Lead on, O King Eternal, henceforth in fields of conquest thy tent shall be our home." I moved over into a more Pentecostal, charismatic realm, and I found they weren't singing that hymn. They were singing, I shall not be moved. Mm. And I I found sometimes Pentecostals are better at holding on than they are at moving on. Mm. And sometimes, sometimes it's time. Jesus said this, didn't he? Sometimes you get finished with a village and shake Shake the dust dust off your feet and move on to the next village. So... I think sometimes this admonition, don't quit, no matter what, don't quit, actually puts people under huge pressure and guilt. Sometimes it's okay to move on. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, Talk to us. um, One of the things that has been like therapy for me uh, during my years of ministry is writing. Um, You know, I hope that the readers get a lot out of the books that I've written and all that I'm writing. But honestly, Marty, it's been therapy for me. It's been one of the ways that I've been able to release things from the inside and adjust and think and study well. Talk to us about your latest, uh, at least the last two books. I mean, I love the the book about David. It's just because I'm just, I'm like a psalm addict. <laughs> I love the psalms. I love David. And then also your newest book, Kings and Prophets. Well, the newest book... Um was a hard book to write. Some books seem to write themselves. This is my 20th book. Some books seem to almost write themselves. I wrote a book about the Lord's Prayer and the 23rd Psalm one time called 21 Seconds to Change Your World. And I couldn't write fast enough. Mm-hmm. I just It just poured out. And other books are just work. Yeah. What I have found is sometimes the book that's the hardest to write has the most effect when people read it. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because you've had to struggle with it in the writing. Mm-hmm. And this was one of those books. What I wanted was to write a book that deals with the, with the friction between supernatural authority and secular power. And so the, the arena where I saw that played out the clearest was the Flick friction between the Old Testament prophets and the kings with whom they dealt. Gotcha. But it's applicable. There's always a king. I mean, it may not be a king, might be a president or a celebrity or a, a, a billionaire, but there's somebody who walks in the corridors of, of contemporary power. And, and I wanted to deal with how do you react in that? How, what happens? What, how does God speak to you, through you? And I use the kings and the prophets. So there's, um, it's been a tremendous hit. I'm really happy with the, with the sales um, of kings and prophets. They're fake kings. They're people mm-hmm. who think they're more important than they really are. Herod, Herod was mm-hmm. a fake king. He, he was a fake Jew. He wasn't even a Jew. Right. He was an Idumean. And he was appointed by Caesar. He was a, a Caesarian puppet king. So he was a fake king. And there are still fake kings, people mm-hmm. that think they're more powerful than they are. And there are false prophets. Here's what I've discovered. False prophets are more dangerous than fake kings. Mm. 
Um, you have people who, th- there was a false prophet in um, the Old Testament called Zedekiah, not to be confused with the king Zedekiah. And not to spend too long on the story, but he prophesied a military outcome that he thought the king wanted to hear. And the true prophet, Micaiah, is standing there. And Micaiah says, that's not what's going to happen. You're not going to win. You're going to lose the battle, and you're going to be killed on the battlefield. And the king, Ahab, this wicked king, he says, when I come back from the battlefield, I'm going to put you in prison. And Micaiah, the true prophet, says, if you come back at all, I'm a false prophet. So here's what I discovered. You can make political and military predictions, outcomes that you want to happen, that you think are going to happen. You can prognosticate. You can opine, all the rest of it. But when you tack on, thus saith the Lord. When you say, thus saith the Lord, he's going to win. Then you have to be held accountable for that. Micaiah, the true prophet, said, hold me accountable. If you come back from the battlefield, I'm a false prophet. So people toss around, mm-hmm. <laughs> thus saith the Lord. You know, mm. that's serious. It is serious. Yeah. That's serious. Um, when I was a child, I was raised to believe that thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. I was, re- I was raised to believe that that meant don't use Jesus to cuss people out, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, yeah. which, by the way, I'm opposed to right. Let me just say that. <laughs> I, do, I think that's bad. But that's not what that verse means. That verse means not claiming the name and authority of God for vainglorious purposes. Mm. And we've been through a season recently in in this very country where people were prophesying political outcomes that they wanted to see happen. And some of them did later on say, I missed it. I was wrong. I repent. Hold me accountable. I'm going to be more patient next time. I'm going to wait. I'm going to hear from God better. Others didn't. Mm-hmm. And and I would say that the distinction between a false prophecy and the person who gives it as a false prophet is a frail distinction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah. man, that's heavy stuff. Let, let's let's pick up there. Uh, we'll end this one and uh, just kind of starting the new year, uh, hearing your voice, hearing your guidance. I just really appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks we'll, for being here. Um, yeah, so we'll we'll pick back up in the next podcast, and thank you so much because we're all learning together to make our next step our best step. Thanks for joining us on Next Step Leadership, the weekly conversation dedicated to your personal growth and leadership development. Chris and I are so glad you dropped in. You can find us on all your favorite podcast providers. Do us a favor and hit subscribe. And if you really want to help us, give us a rating. We so appreciate your support. Chris Maxwell is the author of 10 books, including Pause with Jesus, Underwater, A Slow and Sudden God, and his latest book of poetry, Embracing Now. You can find links to all of his work and our social media information at our website, nextstepleadership.buzzsprout.com. Our featured music is by Casual Americans. Their debut single is coming October 29th. Follow them on Instagram at Casual Americans to learn more and pre-save their new song, Somebody Famous. We release Next Step Leadership each Thursday. So join us again next week on the Next Step Journey, a conversation dedicated to helping you make your next step your best step. Sweet nothing's fair.